Let's Talk Crypto with Gabrielle Haynes. All right, we are here with Red Phone, uh, Red Phone Crypto. How are you doing today? I'm doing excellent, sir. Thank you for having me. Very excited to have you today. Uh, you are an influencer, investor, crypto, super user. How do you define yourself? First of all, I just describe myself as a fan of crypto. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but my name is kind of an allusion to back in the early days of Bitcoin. One of the easiest ways to buy it was going to pharmacies and placing a MoneyGram order on these crappy old red telephones. And I was using BitInstant back then. So I've been around for a while and I just have a lot of respect for, for the builders in the space and what they're doing to spread freedom in the world. So I'm as much as anything, I'm a fan of crypto. What is the freedom you're looking for? Well, I think it's really easy to view crypto through the lens of the West. If you live in a comfortable country with relative freedom and politically, you know, freedom of speech, those things you can kind of take for granted. But, you know, half the world does not enjoy the same levels of stability and freedom that, that a lot of countries do. So I'm really looking for what I really appreciate about crypto is the ability for people who live in often deplorable conditions under authoritarian regimes to have some level of financial freedom, some access to things like loans and, and an ability to hash things into the blockchain and communicate with the outside world without having that stuff shut down and stopped. So that that is really important to me. Yeah, I mean, uh, something you alluded to about uh, KYC on your 95 thesis, I think I think you called it. Um, what did you say about KYC? Something about uh, assumed guilt? Yeah, so KYC is really supposedly for our protection. But if if you look at it from the point of view of the people who are implementing it, it's really about being able to monitor what you're doing with your money. And if you if you just go into the local convenience store and you buy some some bread and milk with cash, that's a totally anonymous transaction. And I think we need the equivalent in crypto trading or in the internet age, we need to be able to spend money without having all of our transactions tracked. So, you know, KYC is really a way for the authorities to know in advance that who you are and how much money you're transacting with. And there's really, there's no warrant involved. There's no reason that they need that information. They just, they, it's a presumption that you're going to do something shady with your money at some point. So I consider it a complete violation of our liberties. I really like your philosophy and you have a very interesting way of communicating through your writing. I think it's very poetic and romantic in many ways. Um, and I think that that type of communication is quite valuable. And um, when I first came across your profile, I thought I was a bit turned off. I mean, the, the picture of the clown and I'm just like, oh, just like another anonymous account spewing some, I don't know, whatever. But I, like as time goes on, you, you, you can develop more sophisticated, like more nuanced views about different accounts, especially based on what they're saying. Yours stood out to me, in particular, this 95 thesis, uh, which I want to get into more uh, a little bit later. I think you're, you're doing something really cool. And um, I think there's, there's much more behind the mask. Hey, the, the thing I've realized is that narratives really do have the power to, to alter the path of 
to alter the future. I mean, a narrative is is often derided and looked down upon by a lot of traders. But I think the narrative is really all that matters. It defines reality. It defines which projects get adopted and used. So if you do not understand the power of narratives, you, you're at a disadvantage. And I kind of look at what I'm doing with my Twitter account as, as a way of helping to drive the narratives that really matter. Like, I always try to take a step back and look at why crypto matters 50 years from now. If you're, if you're thinking about it from why does it matter over the next six weeks, your perspectives were different, but the narrative started this industry. And that keeps, that keeps the hardcore devs going, uh, going after what matter. And I think we need to keep that in front of people and keep their eye more on the future. Tell me the red phone narrative. What is the story? What do you do as much as you can say? Um, how did you, why did you decide to go into this, like making this account and communicating in this way and being anonymous? Like who is red phone? So I actually got the suggestion from a guy at a hedge fund. I was complaining to them that I had all these thoughts and ideas about crypto and I had no outlet for them for personal reasons. And he said, you should really consider creating an anonymous account. And I didn't, I didn't take it very seriously. I kind of sat on that idea for six months and on a whim, I, I created it. And, you know, I've really been just completely blown away by the reception and by the opportunities that's, that's you know, given to me by the resonance. Some of the things I've said seem to have with people. So, you know, my background, I got a little bit of experience kind of everywhere, traditional finance, marketing, writing. So lots of various that kind of came together and just a real fascination with money as a as a sort of religion or a tool and how crypto is changing that yeah i think that's i I don't know what else to say on that area religion or a tool that's that's i've never heard that maybe explain that a little more yeah i mean if you think about money it's really kind of a collective delusion So I've got dollars in my wallet right now, and they're literally just a piece of paper that's supposedly backed by the full faith and credit of the United States of America. And you know, the the money itself has no no rules, no guiding principles. It's it's determined by a small group of bankers who meet and decide what interest rates should be. They decide how much the the Treasury decides how much they should be printing. It's really rather arbitrary. And with crypto, we've got these rules-based economic systems that are, are just so much more powerful. They're so transparent. And I think what we're seeing is, is this breakdown of people who have always taken $1 as, as a form of value. They're beginning to see through that. They're beginning to see that, yes, this is just a completely arbitrary mechanism to transfer value. So... That has a lot of the same attributes as religion. You know, it's got widespread cultural belief. It's got, you know, rituals around it, like meeting of the Federal Reserve. It's got customs and like, we we don't talk about money with family and friends, really. It's got all sorts of psychological powers. It's intertwined with our wants and our desires. For money really is a religion in a way, and um... What's happening with all the money printing that's going on is people are starting to think about money in a totally different way. And to see that, to see that it's, um, it's not a given. It's, it's something that can be changed. 
And I don't know if you follow Andreas Antonopoulos, but he talks a lot about how big of a transformation the separation of church and state was, and how what we're really going through right now is the separation of, of money and state. So, so we could see a future where the state has no say in money whatsoever. And I hope that's the future that we end up in. I think that that's the future that will promote freedom for humanity. Is that where we're going towards? And how, I mean, there's going to be a lot of wreckage on the way to that outcome, if it were to be, as you described. You know, I look at it again from the 100-year point of view. I think, I think the war is just getting started. You know, everyone's known it was coming since, since the Bitcoin network flipped on 12 years ago. And for the first 12 years, it was kind of looked at as a toy. And now, now it's becoming something serious and something that people are having to educate themselves on. But yeah, there's going to be a lot of battles across every country on the planet. And ultimately, I think that I, I think that freedom can win. And I'm optimistic that, yeah, we'll have the money of the people. We won't have the money of the state eventually. But it's going to be very up and down. It's going to be, you know, one, one country like India. India is looking at banning cryptos right now. And I think we're going to see that we're going to see countries, you know, try to shut it down. And they're going to see other countries leap ahead of them technologically and economically. And they're going to have to reopen their doors to it. It's no longer money is a tool for a single population. Bitcoin is completely borderless. Ethereum is completely borderless. If one country chooses to shut it down, others are going to step in and take on a leadership role. And it's going to, their economies will flourish. Other economies will stagnate. So it really is a global game. Now, it's not, it's not what we're seeing is countries losing control over the money supply. And that's going to reverberate for 100 years, I think. Is this why you got into Bitcoin initially, this idea of freedom, separation of church and money, uh, church and money, <laughs> state and money? Freedom was definitely a big part of it. I was really attracted to the idea of the Silk Road. Friends were using that to buy pot, and you know, I never used it, but I was just philosophically and politically aligned with, a, with the idea that we should all be able to spend our money and how we want things like pot, I don't think would be as tightly controlled as they are. You know, obviously you can end up dealing in some bad areas, and I, I do think that there's problems that are going to pop up in that area. Terrorism financing, you know, the Bitcoin community kind of writes that off. It's something that's such a small percentage of transactions, but it's going to get more serious. And the saving grace there is that so much happens on chain. So, you know, we're going to see addresses start to get blocked from being able to convert fiat. But yeah, that's, that's just been something that appealed to me from day one is this idea that we should be in charge of our own decisions. I'm just not a fan of, of a country or a place where the government makes decisions on your behalf. So that has always appealed to me. I'm definitely resonating with a lot with what you're, of what you're saying now. Um, 
particularly the money printing. That's what drew me back into Bitcoin um, early this year, or not this year, last year. And also the Silk Road, That's my. that was my first use of crypto many years ago. But after I, I just, I, I viewed it kind of just as like a conduit, like I didn't really give it any thought. Okay, I'm just going to buy some Bitcoin, put it here. Not really thinking about the, the value of Bitcoin or any of the like ideology behind it. Yeah, it's a journey. I mean, that's what I think about crypto is it's so many things intertwined. And as you go down the road, learning more and more about it, it's like these veils get pulled back from your eyes and you begin to see, to learn things about government power, about economics, about philosophy, psychology. It is in many ways. It's an educational tool that's really changed my life and changed my viewpoints on the world. So, you know, it's tempting to think of it as just an investment, but it is, it is a movement. Sean Lennon calls crypto the new rock and roll, and I agree with that. It's, it's the spirit of freedom and innovation in moving humanity forward. So I think it's, it's this mixture of all these powerful concepts, and it's right now, it feels like this powder keg that's, that's exploding. It's in the process of exploding as we speak. Crypto is rock and roll. I love that. Um, and yeah, to, uh, to me, Bitcoin was this culmination of so many different ideas that I had been interested in my whole life. Like I, from a young age, I was interested in like economics and free markets and all these ideas. And I, and I really got really obsessed with like 2008 and, you know, what went down in the financial crisis. And then one, one of the most interesting things that happened to me when I was in university, um, I, I, I went to Economics 101 and I was super excited because up until then I had, you know, studied economics, you know, through podcasts and talking to a couple friends who were interested, but never into a formal setting. So I was super excited to like hear from a, a Harvard professor all about economics and like ask questions. And literally 10 minutes into the class, this professor was like, um, in 2008, Obama saved America. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> nice. So then after class, I approached her. I'm like, you heard of uh, Hayek? And she's like, no, I left the class. Like, I. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. I was, I was so confused. It was like such a powerful moment because I didn't, I didn't know the, the extent of this like kind of pervasive money ideal, like just the way people think about the economy. People don't think about the economy. I think that's a problem. Their views just like are so boxed in. And to me, that was like so crazy. I thought it was so obvious the way that I was thinking. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I tweeted once about the most hostile, ignorant and closed-minded individuals in the world towards Bitcoin tend to be economics professors. And I've had the same experience as you. Whenever I meet someone who teaches economics or works in the field, I bring up crypto and they're just utterly dismissive. And to me, I take that as a sign that they feel threatened. I take it as a sign that they're unwilling to be intellectually curious, which is paradox. Because think of educators as people who are, are in love with intellectual curiosity and like, and like it's exploring the frontiers, but yeah, for some reason they tend to be closed-minded, and I think that's changing. I think especially newer, younger economics professors, even the old ones, 
I think the staying power of crypto is is opening eyes to the fact that this isn't a toy. It's not a game. It's something very serious. And as the changes within the halls of academia, it's going to change everywhere. Yeah, I mean, you would think that economics professors would be super interested in crypto because it's the only true free market, right? Anyone can sell whatever they want for whatever price and the market will dictate if it's valued or not, right? It could be anything. And there's really no, no one can stop you. And I just think that would be so fascinating for these type of economists. I'll give a shout out here. Econ Talk, Russ Roberts. I would listen to this guy. One of the OG podcasts. I had a podcast for like, I don't know, 15 years at this point. Like someone like him, for me, he would be super interested because this is exactly what he preaches. So I wanted to ask if, change the subject a little bit, if you have any experience with community building, because you've, you've kind of grown a following on Twitter. And I know you are very active, you made like a discord group. And I, I want, I'm, I'm in the process of building my own community. I just wanted to know from you if you've had any challenges or it's kind of like just by accident, what, what's your experience been? So I've been amazed, first of all, I think, yeah, creating Redphone, Twitter was just a life-changing experience for me. And one of my biggest realizations is that your name, your credentials, None of that matters. What matters is your willingness to express ideas, to look like a fool, to get out there and have your voice heard is to participate in these conversations. You know, the clown motif is kind of goes along with that, like a jester as someone who who's pointing out ridiculous things. And even sometimes I'm pointing out the ridiculous thoughts that go through my head. And yeah, I think once you... There's this power in being anonymous and being willing and able to say things that you can't when you're named. So I think that's part of what's driven the success of my Twitter account, if you can call it success. It's it's the anonymity that gives me the power or the ability to say things that I might keep to myself otherwise. So whenever you're building a community, I think that that being honest and being willing to say stupid things is really important. I think that that honesty resonates with everyone immediately because they're all in the same boat. I mean, we can't kid ourselves and think that we have some special knowledge. We're even the devs who are building in this space. Even Satoshi, we're just kind of fumbling in the dark. We're, we're experimenting and we're learning from those experiments and we're growing. So, so yeah, I think that honesty is something that's that gets clouded when your name and your reputation is in front of mind. So yeah, just having core beliefs and and reminding yourself with those beliefs and and trying to keep those foremost in a community is really important. You maintain an identity on social media, on Twitter, like outside of this account, like you have a personal account that you regularly are active on? occasionally active not super active because i have found that you have all these conflicts you have all these professional and familial obligations that can really start to cloud your thinking cloud your thinking that that cloud what you're willing to say so yeah anonymity i think is really crucial to pushing this industry forward I mean, this year alone, I've listened to, I think, three interviews with Anons. And before, well, that's probably been over the last few months. I've listened to three interviews with Anons. And I can't recall ever doing that before. So 
So there's something going on there. There's something really important to that. And I think a lot of VCs, a lot of investors write off anonymous projects. And I think that's foolish. I think there's a power to to anonymity. I mean, I guess I have so much respect for these devs that are willing to build things that make them targets and governments and make them targets of um, that where they're treading in gray, gray, gray areas. So I think about privacy coins as probably the greatest example. It takes a courage that I do not possess to be able to work on projects like that. And those are, I think, some of the most important projects in crypto right now. You mentioned a couple, uh, Secret Network, another one I can't remember in your thesis. Maybe talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, so those projects are really giving fungibility back to crypto because, yes, Bitcoins are fungible. They're also fully trackable on chain. So if anyone is ever able to peg your real-world identity to a string of transactions or an address on chain, then it may as well not be anonymous. So projects are giving truly cash-like capabilities to crypto. And obviously, governments are not going to like that. Um, but I think that they're absolutely crucial for crypto moving forward. Because you know what? Wall Street Bank is not going to want to be doing transactions on chain that are fully trackable and can be followed, traded, and analyzed by their people. Even I'm sure you and having a .eth address, I mean, people can just monitor your addresses. And it's really, it's just not private at all. And it's not, it's not a good feeling to have doxed addresses out there. So I think that these are crucial from that point of view. But also, just from the freedom point of view, I think that I... I think that the world needs privacy and crypto and the devs who are building that are taking enormous chances. And I think they deserve our support and encouragement. Is there any particular projects that you like in that space? I'm really not familiar with like, I mean, Tornado and Foon, but I, I don't really, I haven't dug deep into those. Yeah, I'd say Tornado is a leader right now. And but I'm really intrigued by what Secret's doing because they're building in a lot of additional capabilities like smart contract capabilities that will enable DeFi to run with some anonymity built in. So like right now, if you were to go short something on Aave, all that's trackable on chain and that creates scenarios where people are trying to liquidate your short and, you know, there may be solutions through projects like Secret where some of that's not as obvious. And and really will help the industry grow by making some of these transactions more anonymous. One thing that surprised me about your um, presentation was the amount of projects that you mentioned. For me personally, I, I want to keep it smaller. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's just a bias, but you, you mentioned so many there. Is there is there is is that like do you consider it good to hold, I don't know, fifty or more coins, or is that just like to flood it with information or I, I don't know, like what's the reasoning behind that? So I've seen a lot of tweets lately from guys I really respect talking about making concentrated bets in the industry. 
And I've been really doing a lot of thinking on that because I do. I hold a shitload of positions. I hold more positions than anyone I know. And I think part of that is just a complete fascination with all the innovation that's happening. I think that there are so many verticals that are getting built simultaneously that you can't really have one five positions that represent everything that's going to happen in the industry. So I've been trying to just mainly out of following my own curiosity, I, I try to try to follow these smaller projects that are doing really innovative things. And, you know, a lot of that will accrue back to will accrue value back to Bitcoin and Ethereum. So just holding those two alone will get you exposure to a lot of edge case innovation that we're seeing. But I think that there are some really important small projects that are getting built to do a thousand X easily. So, you know, when I talk about a lot of these tiny projects, it's not like I'm allocating huge amounts of capital to them, but I am making small bets and thinking that some of them could really grow exponentially. It seems that you're okay with making trades, you know, buying and selling a token, even not holding it for a long time. That's something that I don't, I try to stay away from because I feel like I lose money when I do that. Um, so I try to just like far sustainable positions. Like what's your, what's your investment philosophy? Do you like you know, trade holding? Uh, I like to do both. I kind of keep mental buckets in my head. So I've got long-term holds that I consider to be like long holds like Bitcoin. I said once, I'd like to pass my private keys on my Bitcoin to my children when I'm weighing in hospice, hopefully many years from now. So that's kind of one bucket. And then I keep a second bucket of more medium-term trades, maybe one year plus and a smaller bucket of speculative narrative-driven trades. So yeah, I think if you allocate according to some, some higher level principles, it's not like you have to go all in on any bet. You go really big on the really important projects and you get much smaller and maybe be a lot more active on some of the smaller bits. What does your allocation look like just overall like Bitcoin versus ETH? To be honest, I don't even own much ETH. I like to denominate my portfolio in ETH and see how I'm doing compared to ETH. But you find I've reached market caps where 100x is is very far off if it's even possible anymore. So I see much greater opportunities in smaller cryptos. I, I do hold maybe maybe a quarter of my portfolio in Bitcoin, but yeah, more allocated into some of the DeFi blue chips as most of my holdings, and then some of the much smaller speculative projects as the long tail of my portfolio. Wow, that's interesting. Um, I guess the reason I hold ETH, I, I'm about, I would say 30% ETH, maybe 15% Bitcoin and the rest like DeFi. Um, I hold ETH because for me, it feels like it has a lot of upside with not that much risk. I mean, I just believe in the ecosystem so much and that I could see it thriving, you know, I'm not expecting any 10Xs or anything like that, but I think at least in the near term, it can definitely outperform Bitcoin and it, and I won't have that downside of, you know, holding a bunch of smaller projects that might not go, might go to zero, but the other ones might do a hundred X. I don't know. Maybe it's 
just a different, different way to look at it. Yeah, I think too, if you're, I think you can sleep better at night with an allocation like that. And I agree, I think ETH has a lot more potential medium term than Bitcoin. But yeah, I think you have a great allocation based on what you said. Another thing is like, I think that like my feeling is that if I walk out of this alive in like five years, I'll be doing very well. You know what I mean? Like there isn't a reason to go like super aggressive. We're already super aggressive in being in crypto. I don't know. Another thought. Yeah, I agree completely. I think that, you know, people are focused on shorter term shorter term investment horizons and missing the fact that this is just a complete tsunami of innovation. I feel like this decade is is where we're going to see just a complete revaluing of the entire sector. So, you know, I've said many times on Twitter that I think that this year alone, we're going to see more people in our crypto than we did in the past 12 years. And just holding Ethereum and Bitcoin will get you exposure to that upside. It's you don't have to put too much thought into it. This is world-changing technology. And if you're super active like me, I think there are a lot of opportunities in smaller places. But for most people, they don't have the time or the inclination to get that deep. And maybe some of the index tokens will be a great way for them to get exposure to small projects. But yeah, for the common everyday trader, just some exposure to the big caps is probably all they need. Of, of the new entrance to crypto, the new people who have started talking about crypto in the last month even, is there anyone that has been particularly exciting or a highlight for you? Obviously, I love seeing Elon Musk get involved, richest man in the world. It's hard to ignore that. And I keep waiting for an announcement that Tesla's added some crypto to their, to their treasury. And if and when that happens, I think that will be a huge game changer for the industry. Mark Cuban as well. It's, it's fun to watch these guys kind of fall through the or live through the education process that many of us have lived through over the course of many years. You can kind of see them dipping their toes in different areas. I think Michael Saylor is a great example too at MicroStrategy. He's just 100% focused on Bitcoin right now. And I would not be surprised if in this year he starts talking about Ethereum. It's, it's just how the education process works. You have to fully understand Bitcoin before you can start to see other use cases. And the passion that comes out of these guys when they're discovering the power of Bitcoin is kind of rekindles it in people who felt that feeling years ago. Number 44, Elon will shill BTC more effectively than Sailor, and Sailor will begin buying ETH. <laughs> yeah, I guess I was thinking that in December as well. Why do you think Elon is a more effective shill? Oh, Elon's just got so much more reach. I mean, he's there's no comparison to someone who's hoping to colonize Mars. I think he represents humanity's highest goals. And I don't think there's been anyone to tackle such difficult technological problems as him. And I think that inspires awe in a lot of us. And what he's interested in often drives other people to be interested in it. I think he's inspired a whole new generation of astronauts. And I think he's going to inspire a new generation of crypto holders as well. We're talking on a day when MicroStrategy buys more Bitcoin. Why does Sailor only have one button? <laughs> well, 
I, I've listened to interviews with Sailor and he does take kind of the clock of the long now viewpoint where he sees the Bitcoin isn't some one to two year investment play. He sees it as, as a new way of storing value. And, and if you view it in that way, if you view it like, I almost view Bitcoin as, as harnessing time. So as time goes on and Bitcoin becomes more valuable simply because things like the dollar are deflating, and if you can accrue capital over your life, what you're really doing is accruing human energy, human innovation. Like you receive money in exchange for doing work, and that money enables you to, to employ the work of other humans. So I really view money as energy and as time and Bitcoin is the greatest value store of time that humanity's ever seen. So if you're viewing it from that point of view, who gives a shit? Whether it's 30,000 or 80,000, you're just accruing more energy, more time, more innovation. You're accruing the most valuable resource in history. Wow, that just blew my mind. I never thought of money as like a kinetic energy like that super interesting and and bitcoin as the ultimate rock just like a freaking rock of energy <laughs> yeah i mean you cannot accrue more of it without expending either capital or your own personal energy so it's a trade-off and whenever i'm investing i'm always looking at opportunities to grow my my ability to capture more capital so i'm always attracted to farming opportunities I'm attracted to dividend or fee capture projects because it's kind of that passive income thing that a lot of web 2.0 people are focused on. It's this ability to grow your capital and your resources while you're asleep. Bitcoin kind of does that inherently, so it's, it's really fascinating. Uh, why do you think there is this maxism phenomenon? You know, I, I, I got into crypto fairly recently. And when I got in, I was very surprised to see such ridicule of Ethereum. Is that because it's so new or it's the showboating? What do you think that is? I go back to the religious angle for money. Every religion has its zealots. It's, it's absolute diehard fundamentalists. And I try to enjoy those people and to celebrate them because I think that if you do not have them, you don't have much of anything. So Ethereum has its diehards, and they're just absolutely crucial to growing the community. If you have a project that's just VC-funded and has a developer that's working 9 to 5, it's sort of a desk day job. Your project's gonna go to shit. You, you need people that are driven by a higher motive than just money. So I love the maxis. And I think that I think that they're a great gauge of how successful projects can be. That's interesting. The more maxis there are, the more potential success that the project can be. There's always someone that will buy your Bitcoin no matter where you go. In, I don't know, Florida, Lisbon, Timbuktu. He'll give you the cash. Yep, 100%. Awesome. So maybe highlight some of the projects that you're really into right now uh, with, with as much alpha as you'd like to leak. Yeah. So 
I did this tweet on the DGen 10 back in December and kind of crowdfunded the community on ideas for tiny cryptos that they thought would do really well this year. And a lot of people said that they wanted that to be a token, a, a tradable token that represented all 10 of the DeFi picks or, or small cap picks. So I've kind of been down a rabbit hole with members of the community looking at all these projects that are out there right now that are building index type crypto offerings. So token sets, power pool, um, DEX TF, all of these projects there, there are a ton of them. They're really smart people and they're building crypto baskets that I think are going to be really important to the industry. And after talking to a lot of them, we kind of fell onto index.finance as a really cool platform for building these index products. And we're going to be launching an index token, a DGEN token on that platform, hopefully. So that's one that, you know, even before I considered or even before the DGEN community like started thinking about using that platform, I was already farming it. I was already intrigued by it. Molly at Hedrick gave the founders some seed capital. She invested in it. And I really love the ethos. They're trying to do everything on chain and make it very unstoppable. So I'm a big fan of that project. They've got an index called DeFi5 that you can farm right now. So that's one that I'm excited about. There are all kinds of sectors that I think are just gonna. For let me let me stop you there before you move on to the other sectors. Give me the give me the real bull case of uh, index because there's so many projects out there. You got PyDAO, you got PowerPool. They all they use this balancer pool. Like what separates index from these other projects? I mean, for me, I I actually do work for the index scoop, so I'm biased. Uh, but I really like the DPI. I like the idea of not rebalancing all the time, monthly rebalancing, maybe more efficient, tracks the basket better, etc. So, like, why why are you really sold on this project? Why do you love it so much? Well, to be honest, I love all of them. I think that they kind of have different niches that they're going after. I look at index co-op as going after more professional Wall Street type traders. And I look at indexed as more of a small kind of grassroots project. So I think that the offerings that the platforms come up with are going to be very different. And I think that's part of the appeal for me with indexed is it is, it is tiny. It's grassroots. They're, they're kind of pushing the envelope of their offerings. So, um, It's not like I think that they're vastly superior technologically. It's more of the ethos that appealed to me. And and some of the, just talking to the founder, I was really impressed. He casually mentioned that he had programmed his own EVM at one point. And, you know, he he doesn't have a Twitter presence. He's, he seems like just a pure dev who's in it for the love of it. And those are the people that I get behind. And I think a lot of these projects have those people. So it was a really hard decision. And I was just trying to, we were trying to find something that the community can have a lot of input on. Because really, I don't see this as a project that I'm launching. I see it as a, I mean, I didn't even come up with these tokens. They were voted on by the community. So we were really looking for something that could get us to market really fast and could get liquidity really fast. And that was one area where they were willing to, they, they have a pilot program where they're giving away tokens to help spur liquidity for their new indices. 
And that was kind of one issue I saw within Index Co-op is, is there's no mechanism besides launching your own DAO to sort of encourage liquidity. So that was a really important aspect. I love the narrative. I'm in. I'm super DJ now, but no, I, I like that story. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I'm in a group called Crypto Testers with uh, Lito Cohn. He's, oh, uh, cool. he's like super into it. He was talking index since I think maybe day one or even pre-launch. Like he's super into it. He's like writing proposals there and everything. Um, but yeah, definitely index co-op is going after a different market and they both can be successful. I really like the idea of having like a grassroots, um, like community led type of product. I mean, that's, that's cool. That's there's, there's room for both, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I think a lot of people just get fixated on trying to pick the best one. And I really see the industry right now. It's in this, the rising tide lifts all ships type of type of state. There is no pure one-to-one competition right now. There's growth everywhere. So yeah, I mean, I've been farming index tokens myself. So I really like that project. I love DPI. I see lots of opportunity everywhere. No wonder you so you hold so many tokens. So tell me, tell me about some of the other tokens uh, or projects that you run to in other in other areas. So I'm trying to pay attention to traditional finance and look for it for clues as to things that we need in DeFi, things that we're gonna have. I really think traditional finance built up over four centuries and products that are there today are there for a reason. And we're going to see those kind of launch come, come just busting into the DeFi sector over the next 10 years. So we're going to see four centuries of financial innovation that happened in 10 years in DeFi. And if you look at TradFi right now, a lot of the... A lot of the structures that they've set up, like the indexes or ETFs, are kind of new to crypto. And there are things that we're going to see, like tranches debt is going to be a huge, huge area where investors can limit the risk when they're investing in, in crypto. I think that's really important. So I've been looking at projects like RARI and SFI as a sort of plays in the tranche debt area, I think we're also going to see insurance plays are going to be really important. Tokenized security plays, leverage plays, all of the things that exist today in traditional finance but are going to migrate over, I don't think it is still so early for those things. So it's it's something that I'm still educating myself on, still looking at what is one that really jumps out at me? I mean, some of the big leaders like Ave and are really super important to the industry. And I think Cream is very similar to them. And Cream's being is tapped into the YFI ecosystem. So I cannot look at that as an alpha play on on what Ave is doing. I think even Comp is sort of not gotten a lot of attention in DeFi by DeFi purists. But I think they could be a really interesting bridge to traditional finance. What else? Uh, synthetic. Synthetic cryptos is really one of my favorites. I just love the power of that. 
Obviously, synthetics is a project I'm really, really a fan of because I just see how traditional finance is very exclusionary. It requires you to have money to get involved. It requires you to set up a brokerage account. In many cases, from a foreign country, which isn't even possible for a lot of people. So I just see so many people who are locked out of modern finance and synthetics and projects like Mirror are going to open that up to to the people that don't have investment opportunities. So that's really exciting to me. Yeah, definitely. I'd, I'd like to see right now we have Mirror coming out with these synthetic stocks. And that was kind of one of the things that drew me into synthetics originally is this idea that you could have anyone anywhere in the world could just buy Tesla stock or Google stock. And that's a very powerful thing. And that's something that I certainly take for granted. I mean, I don't even, even know how it feels like not to have, you know, a, a stock trading platform if I want to have it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think about the unbanked people in the world and it's really kind of a tragedy that they they can't get loans. Like you think about a loan as, as a tool to enable you to live a better life. I mean, many of us in the West can use credit cards. We can, if we want to start a business, washing cars, we can probably put a couple grand on a credit card to buy the materials and marketing stuff we need. If you're If you're in a situation where you can never leverage your capital to whatever limited capital you've got, your opportunities are instantly limited. And that's really just unfair and inequitable. So I love the opportunities that this is unlocking. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, even even myself who has you know bank and everything, I still feel the, sh- the, the, the pain of using the banking system. I, we all do, I think. But I live in Israel, but I'm from the US. So I have US bank account and I haven't been able to access it for a couple of years at this point because... I need to go into a branch to talk to a banker or something. Yeah. Yeah. Once you get to crypto, you start to realize that the banking system is just so inefficient. It's, it's really, it's hard to believe it's as inefficient as it is. We've seen innovation everywhere else, but the banking system is so bloated with regulations and so controlled by such a small number of banks that it, It's the perfect example of the powerful eventually becoming out of touch or incapable of meeting current market needs. I want to read a a quote, number 95. This is what crypto means to me. Hal Finney planning to contribute to Bitcoin Core by blinking into a sensor after ALS ravaged his body. Tell me about that. What What does that mean? What does that mean? That means that we are all working on something that is much greater than you or I. Yeah, I think a lot of us forget that. Yeah, there's there's more. Like you said earlier, it's not just a game. There's actual power here. There's, there's something that is much more uh, deep and fundamental. Absolutely. You have a lot of, um, I don't know, you have a lot of love and and passion in your writing. Well, where do you think that comes from? And particularly, like, 
you have a very interesting slide about a dev being able to go down a light path or a dark path. Where does that, I don't know, that inspiration come from? Or are there any like people that you see speak in this way? Or I think it comes from my life experiences. I just owe a lot to crypto. I think there have been times in my life when I was just not even able to buy enough food to eat. And crypto is really, it's just given me opportunities that would have been unthinkable a decade ago. So I just owe a lot to the space and I want to give back. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Thank you. And I, and it comes through in, in your, again, even it's so interesting that because even though you are anonymous, right? Nobody knows who you are. It's, you're able to communicate that in such an emotional and deep way without revealing your identity, or maybe you are revealing your identity in some ways, true identity. And uh, it's, and I think you are giving back. I mean, like, like I said, I think that there is a lot of power in what you're doing and it, and it shows, you know, you built something like, I don't know how many followers you have, but you've built a community of a chat groups, people read this stuff, you know? And I think that more and more, just as the space grows, the people that are doing the work now to really grow these communities are just, they're gonna be huge, right? A rising tide rises all boats in all the senses. I just, feel lucky to be alive right now and living through it it's something that is gonna change humanity for generations i believe so tell me a couple people that you follow on twitter that you really like or people content creators or youtube any any particular channels you, you you like um i love djen spartan is one of my favorites He's another Anon who who does a lot of psyops. He's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but underneath that tongue-in-cheek is, is things that really challenge fundamental beliefs that we all have. So I'm always looking for thinkers like that. I think I always... I can never remember this guy's name, Suzu. He, he's another one who just says things to challenge you. I think if you're listening to people that you always agree with everything they say, you're kind of in an echo chamber. So I try to seek out the people that make me pause and make me think about my beliefs really hard. As far as channels, I mean, Darren Lau has a really good one called The Daily Ape and Telegram, and that's just a listing of, of interesting tweets and headlines that he's followed. You can't even comment on it. You can just read it every day. And that is one of my favorite resources for staying on top of what VCs are thinking about and on just really cool new emerging projects. Awesome. Awesome. I The Daily Ape is fantastic. I'm disappointed when it's not out. <laughs> I know. It's so good. So good. So good. So uh, I want to wrap it up here, but maybe... Tell us what your goal is in your personal, in your brand, in your community. What, what are you looking to achieve? Really, I hope to not be considered a brand. I, I'd love to just inspire devs to keep building and to steer users towards projects that enhance freedom. I think, I think we're going to 
all of us are going to face a choice where we have to decide if we're going to let traditional finance take over the space and just force their shitty rules and regulations onto us and or if we're going to build something new and revolutionary that that allows human flourishing and allows freedom so i i do think that the products that you choose to use the wallets and services the gateways that is a huge decision it's not something you should just take lightly. And and if a project is forcing KYC, say, fuck them and, and use something else. So yeah, my goal would really be pushing people towards that ethos of thinking about future generations and the power of this technology. That's interesting because <laughs> going back to your slides here, you had uh, begrudgingly long NXM. So why why do you give them the flexibility to have at least partial KYC? I think it's inevitable. I think we're going to have two parallel systems develop. And I kind of liked the idea of profiting off of TradFi while then rolling those investments into pure DeFi. You know, you, you'd have to have your sand in the head to think that they're not coming in a major way and that they're not going to grow exponentially. So yeah. I don't think you can ignore those services, but they're, we can always skim profits off of them and put them into things that we truly believe in. You mentioned something earlier also about Comp being a bridge to DeFi. What, I haven't really thought of that before. What do you mean? So I see these platforms as being sort of back-end interest-bearing or interest-yielding platforms for banks. So banks are just really struggling to produce any sort of yield for their clients. And Comp hasn't been too explicit, but they're rolling out a new blockchain that I believe is permissioned and I believe is really targeting banks as, as a way to give banks' clients access to DeFi yields without the clients having to even touch DeFi. So I think that's going to be a huge growth area is traditional financial institutions tapping into the yields without necessarily having to burden the customers with getting involved with crypto. So there are a lot of projects that are kind of angling in that direction. And I think Comp is one of them. I think Aave is kind of headed that way. The Iron Bank is really interesting, DeFi type version of that. Anchor is another project that's headed that way. So, so that is kind of going to be the next gateway for the next billion users in crypto, I believe. That's so interesting. I never thought of, why do you think Ave is going that way? Has there been any hints about that or just your feeling? Mm, not really explicit. Hence, I think that, I think that the yields are just too compelling. I think it's inevitable just from that point of view. I don't stay super on top of, of what they're doing, but they are the leaders. So, of course, people are going to want to, to use that to their advantage. It just feels, there's this feeling of inevitability, this heaviness to what they're doing. And, and it's, there's no way that TradFi can ignore that for long. Super interesting, super interesting. What do you think of uh, Cubans holding so far, Ave and Sushi? I was pretty impressed by how uh, sophisticated he is in crypto. I don't know about you. Yeah, I was I was impressed. I did see one of his wallets buying a scam coin, which I thought was hilarious. But yeah, I think he obviously has access to brilliant people. So 
of course he's going to get the best recommendations. It's as long as you're open to talking to people who are smarter than you in different areas. They make the game easy, and he has easiest access to brilliant minds in that space. It makes sense to me that he would be attracted or pointed towards the best projects. Well, thank you so much uh, for your time. I, I learned a lot, truly. That was super interesting. Uh, where is the best place for people to find you? Twitter? I know you have the Discord as well. Yeah, Twitter is kind of my hangout. I've got a Substack link there. I don't send a ton through Substack, but just whenever I get swept up in crypto passions, I, I may send stuff out there. Got you. Thank you again, Redphone. It was really a pleasure talking to you, and I hope we get to do this again soon. Yeah, Gabrielle, I really appreciate it. Thanks for spreading the word about crypto, man. <laughs>